0: Turn to Matthew 1. We are in the second week of our Advent series. For those that weren't with us last week, Advent means arrival or coming. So the four weeks leading up to Christmas make up the season of Advent, and uh, the goal is simply to prepare our hearts... (coughs) And refocus our minds on the coming of Jesus into the world. Uh, We'll start in Matthew 1, the end of Matthew 1, and jump around to different passages. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is the Word of God. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Now, uh, there are many aspects of Jesus' coming that we could focus on. We could focus on the virgin birth. We could focus on the incarnation, name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, Jesus, the God-man, God coming to earth to be with us. But you can't talk about everything. I've tried to narrow it down, at least for the next couple of weeks, to the to the two main things, or not the main things, but two of the main things that um, that are said about Jesus when he's born. Number one is he is Savior. Number two, he is King. So what I want to do, at least for the next couple of weeks, is focus on those two things. This week, Jesus came to save. Next week, Jesus came to rule. Uh, look at verses twenty through twenty-three. The second half of verse 20. The angel says to Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She's not been unfaithful to you. God put that baby in her womb. It's a boy. You need to name him Jesus. The significance of that is because he's going to come and save his people from their sins. The Hebrew name for Jesus means Yahweh is salvation or uh, Yahweh saves. So you're to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. The text says this took place to fulfill what Isaiah had prophesied some 700 years prior that the virgin would conceive and bear a son. His name would be Emmanuel, God with us. This prophecy has come true in Jesus Christ. God was born in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. And He came to save His people. That's why His name is Jesus. Yahweh saves. So... Uh, You don't have to turn there, but Luke's account of the birth of Jesus says that the angel appeared to the shepherds and said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, Luke 2, 10 and 11. It's one of the most common things said about Jesus surrounding His birth. It's all wrapped up in His name. Jesus came to save Of course, this is one of the most common things that we know uh, to be true about Jesus, but we need to be careful about that. Because we tend to gloss over the things that we have become most familiar with. Wouldn't Satan love it if we got so familiar with John 3.16 that we never meditated on it, we never prayed through it, we never soaked in it, we never thanked God for the truth contained in it. We grow in the truth by marinating in it, by savoring it. So don't grow cold to the most familiar truths. Pray that God would grow you in them and them in you. Jesus came to save. To save from what? It says that uh, you shall name him Jesus because he's going to save people from his people from their sins. What does that mean? Something we say a lot? What does that mean? We're going to focus more specifically on that today uh, in two ways. Number one, Jesus came to set us free from having to serve our sin. And number two, Jesus came to set us free from having to pay for our sin. Uh, so let's look at the first thing. He set us free from having to serve our sin. Listen to Romans 8 2. The law of the Spirit of life, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What is that saying? There is a law of sin that lives inside of us. Uh, We were once bound to it. We were born bound to it. The Bible says born enslaved to sin. We had no choice but to serve it. We were slaves. But because of Jesus' work on the cross, God sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of His people, all of us. And everyone who, has, who is in Christ, the Spirit has set you free from having to serve your sin. We still have sin that remains inside of us, but our sin no longer reigns over us. It still remains, but it no longer reigns. Jesus came to save us from our sin. And one of the things that means is you no longer have to serve your sin. So, are there certain sins in your life <clears throat> that seem to have conquered you from time to time? There are many, but they have not conquered you. Jesus has conquered them. The chains have been broken. The Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You do not have to serve your sin. So, whatever it is, whether it's laziness or anger or bitterness or lust or discontent or selfishness or drunkenness or gossip or lying or stealing or cheating or love of riches... In whatever way you tend to serve your sin, if you're in Christ, you no longer have to serve your sin. We are free to repent of our sins, to follow Christ in the newness of life. Now, we don't have the strength in and of ourselves to leave our sin behind. But God has not left us to ourselves. Jesus died to save us. The Spirit lives inside of us. You no longer have to serve your sin. Next, um, Jesus set us free from having to pay for our sins. Now, I have a question for you. What is the worst thing about having to pay for one's sins? It would take an eternity. It would take an eternity. Certainly. Separation. That is bad. That's not the worst. That's a good answer, though. Baited you. Anyone else? Eternity of what? Separation. What else? Suffer. What? What'd you say? Hell. Okay. What's the worst thing about hell? It's hot. It is hot. The the worst thing, the worst thing about hell, um, the worst thing about hell is God. God's wrath is the worst thing that we've been saved from. Not only is hell being separated from God, um, it's it is separation in the sense of not being in His family. But it's not being people in hell would long to be separated. God is very active in hell. And His wrath is poured out on the condemned for all eternity. So, the worst thing about having to pay for one's sins is wrath. Jesus came to save us from our sin. And the biggest problem our sin had created was with God. Ultimately, Jesus came to save us from God. From His wrath. Turn to Luke 22. In Luke 22, we are within the last few hours of Jesus' life, just moments before He is arrested. I'll read Luke 22:39 to 46. What was that? Uh, Luke 22:39 through 46, verses 39. <clears throat> And ultimately crucified. But even before his arrest, he is praying in the garden, sweating blood, feeling the torture and the torment of God's wrath beginning to be poured out on him. The righteous anger and punishment of God that you and I deserve. The cup that you and I had a hand in filling the, the worst part of Jesus' death was not nails in His hands and in His feet. The worst part was not hanging on the cross with all of His weight on those wounds, nails, and feet. It was not dying a slow, terrible death by asphyxiation. The worst part was drinking the cup of the wrath of God. Now, how do we know that this cup that Jesus is, Jesus pleads with the Father to remove is the cup of His wrath? It actually does not say that in the passage. So turn to Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah's toward the end of the Old Testament after Psalms, Proverbs, after Isaiah. Uh, it's one of the places that we find this image of the cup for God's wrath. Jeremiah 25 Uh, verses 15 through 17. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom the Lord sent me drink it. He goes on to list the nations. So much of what we find in the New Testament has its roots in the Old Testament, and so it is with the cup in the garden. The worst wine that Jesus had to drink was not the bitter wine that they gave Him when He was hanging on the cross. The worst wine Jesus had to drink was the cup of the wine of God's wrath. You know, I include myself in this. I think we tend to be a little bit embarrassed by wrath by God's wrath. Maybe we think if we could just leave that part out, the gospel would be a little bit more appetizing or appealing um, to a lost world. Maybe we'd be a little more effective in reaching the world. But if the world is going to know the good news of salvation in Jesus, they're going to have to know what they're being saved from, and they're not being saved from anything more than they're being (laughs) saved from God. And if we're going to understand, if we're going to understand the depth of God's grace that has been given to us in Jesus Christ, one of the things that we need to meditate on is the wrath of God. What have we been saved from? Nothing more than God's wrath. Did you notice in Jeremiah 25 that the cup is also called the sword? I want you to look back there at uh, verses 15 through 17. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So he calls wrath the cup and the sword. He goes on to list the nations. Then look at verses 27 and 28. Then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink, be drunk, and vomit, fall, and rise no more because of the sword that I am sending among you. And if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, You must drink. Again, sword, cup. He's using them interchangeably. Uh, We have two images for God's wrath used interchangeably, the cup and the sword. Now, I want you to turn to Genesis 3. I've gone to this passage uh, a few times with you, and I'll go again. This has become my favorite place in the Bible to go to share the gospel. Because it deals with sin, it it deals with the results of sin, which include, as as Chris has said, immediate separation from God. It also includes the impending wrath of God. And uh, when we connect it to what we know about Jesus in the New Testament, this provides us with a great picture, a great springboard for sharing the gospel. This is a place where we should all go ourselves to remind ourselves of the gospel. And I think it's a great place to, as a springboard to share the gospel with someone else. So uh, Genesis 3, our context is that uh, God has just created the world and everything in it. Um, everything was good. Mankind was in loving fellowship with God. But then the fall into sin... God's immediate response to sin was the curses. He curses Adam, He curses Eve, He curses the serpent who deceived. That's in verses 14 through 19. After the curses, uh, God sent Adam and Eve out of His presence in the garden because sin, even one sin, causes separation from God. Look at, uh, but then look at Genesis 3.24. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword... Sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay? So, scene closes, sin enters, scene closes with you're no longer in God's presence, God shuts the door and and guards the way back in with a flaming sword turning every which way. Remember, a sword is a picture for God's wrath, and so the thing that Uh, is, you know, the biggest problem of our separation is this wrath, this sword. There's no way that we could do anything to navigate getting back in. Once a sinner, always a sinner. We're soaked in sin through and through. We can't clean ourselves up. And even one sin separates us from God and earns us this sword or this cup. So what do we do? Jesus came to earth, He lived the life that you and I have not lived sin free, He went to the cross to pay for our sins, the worst part of which is drinking the cup of God's wrath or taking the sword. That sword that turns every which way, guarding the way back in, was taken in Jesus on the cross. He rose from the grave and He now stands as the door. There was a door with a sword. He took the sword. He rose from the grave. He now stands as the door back into fellowship with God. He says that much in the book of John. He says, I am the door. Anyone who enters by Me will be saved. It's just one of the most powerful pictures of the Gospel. That's it. You know, exclusive? Yeah, it's exclusive. He took the wrath of God. No one else did. That's why it's exclusive. He rose from the grave. He stands and He invites the world. Come. We invite the world. Come. Please. You have no idea what awaits you out there. It's terrible. But you don't have to. Come. So do you believe that Jesus came to save you? There is no more wrath for you. If you don't believe, the wrath remains. John 3.36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I take that obey simply to mean His call of discipleship. Come, follow me. It's free. I give it all to you. And whoever does not heed His call, the wrath remains. But if you believe that Jesus died in your place for your sins, bearing the wrath of God, there is no more wrath. He drank the full cup. If you believe that Jesus is the way back into fellowship with God and you've turned to Him in repentance, then you've been brought into God's family to live in His presence forever. God did not adopt you into His family in Christ to give you away at a later date. Even a good adoptive parent doesn't give their child back, no matter how bad it is. When you adopt a child, it's for good. There's multiple scenarios, even in this room, of bad adoption stories whose parents did not give them back. How much more our Father in Heaven, He has adopted us as His children in Christ. Once a child, always a child. Wrath removed forever. As we've seen this morning, this uh, has been a very sobering week around Grace of Anne. People in our class with perhaps serious health issues. Another one who just found out her dad has cancer. Uh, I've seen a marriage that is falling apart. This 20-year-old young man who grew up in our church died suddenly. Another man who uh, suddenly lost his brother this week. Not to mention the terribly heavy things we've been praying for, like with the Gieselman family. I mean, they're, it's a nightmare. So I've been thinking about these things this week, praying about these things some with a heavy heart, and then I'm working through the lesson for class today. Simple message. Jesus came to save us from our sins. That was the message at the funeral. He came to save us from paying for our sins under the wrath of God. And I've been thinking about the passage in Colossians. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Of course, that's not saying that we don't think about these things. Of course we think about these things. We think about the, the, whatever the, the present thing is. And we should feel a responsibility to enter into others suffering with them by loving them and praying for them. But the passage is at least calling us to to view all of these things in light of eternity. Things are broken here. Sin has wrecked creation. God is restoring. He will fully and finally restore all that is broken and lost. When? When? I don't know. But our hope is not in the when. Our hope is in the who. And look, we're all going to have to pass through sufferings in this life. And ultimately, we're all going to have to pass through death from this life in order to get to where things are put right. This is not our home. We're all going to suffer. We're all going to die. Some of of us are going to die much sooner than others. One of the things that this week has done for me is it's helped me to believe a little more fully, with a little more clarity. I think that's one of the things that suffering does. It, it, it just shows how cheap the things of this world are. Things are broken, but we have an unbreakable hope in Christ. He has saved us from the wrath of God we will enjoy life with Him in God's family forever. Things will be put right. All things will be made new. Heaven and earth. In His time. But listen, the sufferings are coming. There are going to be many more. They are. Some of them are going to be bad. But... No matter how bad things get, we have to view these things in light of eternity. No matter how bad things get for me, I am a saved man. We will suffer for a short time compared to the time that we will spend in glory. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 4 and we will close there. 2 Corinthians 4, I'll read verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self, our soul, is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, wait a second. Paul is talking about light momentary afflictions. This week, we've had some heavy afflictions. No, Paul is talking about extremely heavy afflictions. He's just calling them light in comparison with the glory that awaited him upon his death. The glory that awaits us upon our death. It's not that these things are light at all. These things are terrible. They're heavy. But they are light in comparison with the weight of glory. There is no comparison. And it says that all of these afflictions prepare us for glory (coughs) as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. We don't fully understand these things. Not one of us. But we have to view them through the lens of eternity. Jesus came to save us from our sins. That means we no longer have to serve our sins while we're still here. And ultimately, that means that He paid for our sins in full. It is finished. There is no more wrath for the believer. The cup was fully poured out. We're invited into God's presence, adopted into His family as His children forever. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven. Lord, we gloss over even being able to say that. That you are our Father, that we are your children, is a great kindness. We were your enemies. We've been made sons and daughters. Lord Jesus, because you came to save us from our sins. Lord I know you're sovereign I know none of this stuff has put you off the throne I I speak for all of us when I say we don't understand your ways we do trust you we know that you're good we know that uh, you work all things even terrible things for the good of those that love you most of all we know that we have a hope that is not of this world that there will be no more tears no more pain no more funerals no more sickness. All things will be new and restored and we will be full of joy and we will have perfect peace and we will be in Your presence forever. Until then, Lord, would You root us in the hope of the Gospel? Would You strengthen our faith to endure the sufferings of this life? Would You enable us to surround those who are suffering, minister to them, Help us to be good at it. We're not good at it in and of ourselves. Lord, uh, help us not to speak when we shouldn't. Help us to speak when we should. Help us to listen. Help us to love. But Lord, please would You just continue to make the things of this world look cheap in comparison with the wonderful substance of this great salvation. Help us to view these things through the light of the hope of the gospel. Help us to spread the gospel to those that need it. Would you uh, surround your people, comfort your people, help and heal your people? And uh, Lord Jesus, as we perhaps it's fitting, we know, Lord, that you're sovereign over every season of our lives, and uh, you came at Christmas into the darkness, into the chaos, into the suffering. God with us. Perhaps we get a glimpse of that this Christmas with all the suffering going on around us. We, uh, we love you, Lord. And uh, we're thankful that our hope does not depend on how much we love you, but on how much you love us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.